Good morning. All right, for those who were raised a little more traditional, the pastor, the priest would say this, and there's a response. So I'm going to tell you the response. Don't blurt it out, and then we'll do it together. This pastor would say, he is risen, and the response is, he is risen indeed. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good guys. Very good. I appreciate having a lot of people that know a little formality, too, besides just kind of coming and hanging out with what we do. Uh, Jake mentioned the name of our series is called What If? And today we're going to talk briefly about what if there is no resurrection? And then we're going to transition it into because there is a resurrection. Here's the things that we walk away from this weekend knowing. Uh, before we go there, though, I want to um, give you something that we discovered on Friday night that might work for you today if you're having a family gathering. So here's, here's our situation. It may not be yours. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it is. Maybe it'll be for the future. Put it in your back pocket. And remember, uh, Chris and I have five children, all adults now. Most of them are married. Most of them have their own family now. So when we gather together, there are 23 people in my immediate family that come together, right, for Easter. We brought everybody together on Friday night because we're working all of this weekend. We get done this afternoon. Everybody's going to be tired. So we celebrated on Friday night. And if you kind of can picture 23 people inside of our house, right? So we have, a, we have a decent house, but it's not big enough for 23 people in any way, shape, or form. So what happens is, um, you know, we do an Easter egg hunt for the little kids, and they're all excited. The parents kind of tolerate it because the kids are having such a good time. And then because it's so loud and it's hot and there's so many people, the adults kind of eat quick, and then they'll, they'll take off. And so we were trying to think, what can we do? to keep our kids like into it and excited and happy and we came up with it an adult easter egg hunt now what do you think adults want to find in their easter egg liquor no uh money Money. (laughs) and i said it on easter oh my goodness Uh, money money is what they wanted to find so we went to the bank and we withdrew, uh, you know, some money. We had some 20s. We had a few 50s even, right, for the adults. And $100 bill, right? So to make it aside. So the kids, I, so like if, you, if your Easter celebration has begun to wane a little bit and you're like, what can I do to interject it with some fun again? Cash is the thing to do. So um, Amy actually uh, had one of her kids film it. I'm going to show you 15 seconds of my adult children turning back into 10-year-olds real quick. They were knocking each other over. It was the spirit of Christ was not involved in this part of our Easter celebration. So can you, can you show it real quick? Watch, watch this real quick. It's our backyard. Here they go. <laughs> watch, watch Amy leap up on top of the... Look at, look at Amy. Run up there. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, they trampled our plants. They... <laughs> It was awesome. Now, here's the, the, the funny thing, though. We've got to make a little adjustment because Amy's three older uh, daughters, so, so Isabel, uh, Evie, and Lane, they're right at that age where they don't want to go with the kids, but they're not really, you know, adult age. But what do we do? So we let them go with the adults, and the kids cleaned up on the money. They, uh, Lane got $170. Well, and this, the worst part was Holly... Uh, Daniels, Daniels, Holly, I, I can't do this well because for me to bend over and try to run is impossible anymore. But Holly manages, she can pick up eggs at full speed while she's bent over. So Chris came up with, she goes, let's come up with some, what did you call them? Decoy, Decoy eggs. So we had those little plastic colorful ones and I put the cash in it. And we only had like uh, maybe 15 eggs or something like that. And Chris is like, we've got to have at least 
30 or 40 decoy eggs in order to make this harder. Chris is the mean-spirited one amongst the two of us. <laughs> and so she put out all these decoy eggs and you couldn't tell the difference because, uh, you know, a, a, a bill in it is very, you can't pick it up and tell, right? And so Holly was just gathering. She gathered about 20 eggs and not one of them had anything <laughs> inside <laughs> And I said, Holly, how is this even possible? The odds are you couldn't do this if you tried again. And she's like, yeah, John, how is it even possible that this could happen to me? So we're still, we're going to refine it a little more next year. Somebody gave me a few uh, ideas on that, but I thought I would just share that with you real quick. If you are doing your celebration today and you want to do something fun for the adults, believe me, even if they act like, oh, uh, I'm too undignified, throw some cash out and watch what happens. They will turn back into 10-year-olds overnight. All right, enough of that. What if there is no resurrection? So the Apostle Paul addressed this very issue. And what I'd like to maybe point out to you before I read to you the scripture, I think this adds credibility to the truth of the scripture. And this would be the reason why. If someone's trying to fool you, if someone's trying to disguise something, pull the wool down over your eyes, they're going to ignore things that you and I might think about. They're only going to present the positive. They're not going to put any of the gray hair, any of the wrinkles, any of the warts. But he addresses the idea that if this is fake and phony then you've you, you got to deal with this. If these guys are making this up and this is not real, if they did it, I heard somebody say recently, the apostles did it because there's a lot of money in religion. Not one apostle died with any money. Every one of them gave their life for the cause except for John. And John was in exile on an island for many, many years of his life until he was an old man. And I'm just going to point out to you that if Paul's willing to deal with the idea that if this isn't true, he's not trying to hide anything or keep anything out. He's not editing. He's telling it the way that it is. And he's pointing out truth. If this is not true, then this is all foolishness. But if it is true, then we owe our lives to this thing. Do you agree with that? So I'll read you the scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. He's writing to a church in Corinth, and he's dealing with this issue. Here's what the problem is. Some of the people in the church, believers in the church, don't believe that there's a resurrection. They believe that Jesus was resurrected, but they don't believe that there's going to be a resurrection for everybody else. And Paul points out how foolish that thinking is. Either there is a resurrection for Jesus, which means there's a resurrection for all of us, or if there is no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't resurrected. You can't have it both ways. Everybody in this room will be resurrected. Some to life, and some to separation from God. And you get to choose that. Even today, we get to choose that. And I don't mean to do that heavy-handed right now, but it's important that you understand what we're teaching is not some, uh, some cotton candy, rainbows, and zebra type idea. This is real. Something that most of us, if you're sitting here today, have given your heart and your life to. And I know that some of you may be here today, you're checking this out and you're thinking about it. Bravo, well done. I'm not sure that we can convince you of anything, but here's what we've been praying for the last two weeks and fasting for. That if the Holy Spirit speaks to you today, if he opens your eyes, if he, if he, if he touches your heart, that you will not harden your heart intentionally against it. But that you'll be open to it. That you won't turn away from it, but that you turn to it. So this is 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's writing, tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. It's just simple logic. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is, what's that word? And your faith is? What I love about this, the guy's not hiding anything. Legitimate questions that people think about. Is this really real? And he's pointing out, 
if it's not real, then you're wasting your time right now, and so am I. And so is everybody that's come before us. So he's not hiding anything, he's addressing it right up front. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless, and we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is, there's the word again, useless, and you are still guilty of all your sins. But the good news is, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But the good news is that he's alive. The good news is that it's not in vain. The good news is that we're witnesses today that Jesus is alive. The resurrection is true. And if it was true for Jesus, then it's true for us too. And he calls us from death to life. And today as we look at this and we consider this and ponder this, I want to kind of take you down that road. So I'm going to look at Mary Magdalene's perspective of the resurrection. We usually look at the disciples. Mary was actually considered a follower of Jesus. And in some ways, Mary was more faithful in Jesus' moment of need than even his disciples were. The Bible says his disciples, for the most part, ran away afraid. But Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene stayed close by so that Jesus could see them. They could lend moral support. It's a pretty faithful person, isn't it? So we're going to look at Mary's, um, her description of the events today, and then I'm going to try to draw some truth for you that you can take from here. So Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked inside the tomb. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. So real quickly, let me just, um, let me say this. Like we read this 2,000 years later and it's all cleaned up and it's, it's not messy and it's not bloody and it's not like our faith is on the line. These guys are in that place with everything they believe to be true. Right now they're questioning and doubting. In fact, so much so that they, instead of staying in Jerusalem to be witnesses, they went back to be fishermen. We'll talk about that next week a little bit. But this is super powerful in that while we're looking at this and while we're talking about this, we, we read this after the fact and we read it so sanitized that we don't. But think about this for a moment. She's crying outside of the tomb. She is in, uh, Terry told me that there's, it, it's called the fog of regret or the fog of uh, pain, the fog of, uh, like if you, if you suffer a loss, like a death, or you're going through a disease or a betrayal or a financial reversal, the fog of that thing can be so cloudy that you can't see straight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It can, it can change the way that you perceive and see things. She sees two angels and doesn't even question, why are two angels sitting in this tomb right now? Now, how many of you, if you looked in there, might think, what are two dudes doing in here and where's Jesus? And she doesn't even think about that. She's in such grief right now. So she replied, uh, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, because they have taken away my Lord. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. Now here's this fog of grief. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. I mean, how is that possible? It's this fog. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. I, you ever read the Gospels with any humor at all? Like, why not the caretaker why not the you know the gardener I it was funny to me sir 
She said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And then Jesus does the only thing that snaps Mary out of the fog. It parts the waves. It brings her back to her senses, to her right mind. It pulls her out of all of the grief and sets her in a place of great joy suddenly. Mary. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. When you hear him call your voice, you will never mistake it. Is that my spouse? Is that my child? Is that my friend? If Jesus talks to you, you'll know it. When I say talk to you, I don't think audibly. I know some people say they hear that. I don't doubt that. In my heart, I hear Jesus. I've never heard him audibly. But when he speaks to me, I know it's Jesus. Because I know the voice of the master. And when you hear the master's voice, it snaps you back to attention. It brings you out of that place. Suddenly, Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him immediately, not questioning, who are you? Is it possible? She just cries out, Rabboni, or teacher, which is Hebrew, like... Jesus, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers, be a witness, tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. She's being a witness. Do you know, none of the disciples believed her. Some of the understanding there is they thought she had been drinking, four o'clock in the morning, right? (laughs) That she's full of grief and It's not true. So they run to check it out. When John talks about this event from his perspective, John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. He has a very high valuation of himself in, right? He doesn't struggle with any kind of an ego thing. So the one that Jesus loved. So he tells the story this way, that Peter and I, when we heard the news, took off running to the tomb. And then John says, I was faster than Peter. (laughs) The one that Jesus loved. And I got there first. And then Peter arrived, and both of them looked in, and they said, what does this mean? Not fully realizing that he is alive. Their brains couldn't go there. They're stuck in that place of just like, could this even be possible? They're still stuck in the natural world while Jesus is doing the supernatural. But when he calls your name, it brings you from the natural to the supernatural. It brings you to that place where it pulls you out of that fog. It pulls you out of that that place of sorrow and horror and rejection and betrayal all you need to hear is Jesus say Darren Janet and you know all the stuff it's not that the stuff goes away it's just that Jesus is greater than the stuff it's not that you suddenly like don't have any problems it's just that he's greater than the problems it pulls you from death to life last night somebody said you're getting too close to me Like, how do you think Jesus, do you think he stood way back? I think Jesus loved to go and just like, hey, how you doing? You think he had a suit like this though? No, I I just think Jesus loved to be close to people. There's something about it that when you're teaching, look, we're not teaching today to try to make you smarter. We're teaching because we want your heart to be fully aware that God is calling today. Come to me. I've marked this time. You know, you think you're here because it's Easter, or you think you're here because you're an invited guest, or you think you're here, man, it's been a long time and I need to get back to church. I'm going to tell you the truth. In the Hebrew, it's the word paga, P-A-G-A, and it means to intentionally cross paths. Listen to this. Before time began, God decided that this day you were going to be here to hear him call your name. And if you hear him call your name, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away. Don't say it can't be true. In the last service, while I was talking about grief, 
was a woman just, I, I don't know what I said, and I don't know what she was going through. And here's the truth. I don't need to know because I can't help. I can comfort, but I can't change it. But I can tell you who can. So while I'm teaching, she's just weeping when I'm talking about grief. But by the end of it, the Lord is just simply speaking to her. It's like the pressure on the inside suddenly becomes bigger than the pressure on the outside. How does Jesus do that? And if you hear him call you today, don't harden your heart. We're not talking about becoming church people, good people, suit people cleaned up people we're not talking about religion we're talking about relationship I grew up as a kid in a Catholic church did my first communion was taught very well in catechism who the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit is the one thing I was never taught is that he wants to have a personal relationship with you so I knew about it but I didn't know him what's the difference? life and death night and day Eternity and the natural world. He invites you to relationship today. And if I take a few minutes just to come down away from the message to tell you that, that's the thing you have to take away from today. I don't want to just make you smarter about the resurrection. I want you to know the resurrection was done so that you can be a part of the resurrection. You're witnesses to it. It changes our lives. It's the most important weekend that ever happened. In my opinion, nothing in history has ever come close to this event. So here's the three things. I'll just give them to you quickly because i, I got to stay on time. It's so possible to miss the obvious. Maybe I should finish reading this, huh? Mary was standing outside the tomb crying as she wept. She stopped, looked in, saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her because they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. She looks in there. Jesus is gone. But instead of assuming resurrection, she assumes the body's been stolen. What is it about looking into the fact that this is all true that we come up with all the reasons why it can't be true? Why is it so easy to miss the obvious? I wrote down these three things. Sometimes we don't see the obvious because of our own issues in life. We're full of grief. We're full of terror. Right now, coming out of COVID, I'm reading. Did you see this in the last week? It's not COVID that was going to be the difficulty. It's all of the young people that dealt with COVID over the last two years that are having all of the anxiety and the terror of what is the future going to be. Anybody seeing that right now? We'll be dealing with this long after we're not dealing with this anymore. And what hope do we offer? What help do we offer? You better find a good counselor. I'm all for counselors. We have four on our staff that we pay in order to take care of our church. I'm all for counseling. But something that counseling can't do is convince you that the resurrection is true. You experience the resurrection in your life. And that becomes greater than any terror on the outside. Any parent in here that's dealing with that right now, listen to me. It's important to make sure you get your kid help, but the most important help you can give them is to let them know that Jesus has taken care of these things and that you're safe in him. Sometimes we simply don't see the obvious because of our own issues, our own grief, our own stuff, our own numbness. And when the Lord speaks your name, it suddenly pulls you out of that place. Sometimes we don't see the obvious Because we simply don't believe. I recognize some people walk into this room today and you are not easily convinced. And you know what? I didn't stand up here to try to convince you. What I'm praying for is that the Holy Spirit will knock on your heart. And he will separate from you all of the questions you have with this one true fact. He loves you and he calls you today. 
And you may have millions of things you need to decide about it. What am I going to do about this? All of those are valid. All of those are worthy. But you don't have to have all of those things answered before you see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to him and watch what happens to your questions. Sometimes we miss the obvious because we simply couldn't see it until right now. Sometimes there's a place in life where all things are just not ready, but when they come together, it's like the fog can part. The waves can be pushed aside. Whatever's hanging over your head can be removed, and you can see the truth. God is calling you today. Here's the second thing that I see in the scripture that really just, I I was talking about it a minute ago, it's when Jesus calls your name. Let me read it to you, 14 through 16. I know those pictures are up. I'm going to, I'm cutting for time right now. Oh, Jeff. This is Jeff's 40th birthday today. So we're here to celebrate the resurrection. But Jeff Hilgers, who runs a lot of the back things back there, he turns 40 years old today. Raise your hand, Jeff. There he is, 40 years old today. And Jeff said to me last night, uh, hey, tomorrow's my birthday, but don't say anything. What do you think that means? What do you think that, let's like, If you don't say something, I'm going to be hurt. So, I'm playing with him. Jeff's my nephew, 40 years old. I cannot believe you're 40 years old. That makes me older too, Jeff. So, yeah, we'll skip that. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. When I was 15, if you go to our church, I've told this story before. It's my testimony. It becomes relevant because I'm trying to explain what it's like when Jesus calls your name. So I was 15, and I was not a... I was a typical 15 year How many of you remember being 15? How many of you blocked it out of your head because you don't want to remember when you were... Yeah, I, yeah. 15 could be a tough age. I was 15... My father had died in a car accident just a couple of years before that. We had to leave our home, living with relatives. It was a tough time in life. I don't think I was some like super spiritual 15-year-old kid. I think I was a normal 15-year-old kid doing all the things that a 15-year-old kid does. But I asked two important questions that it doesn't matter how old you are, 15 or 65. Somewhere, these two questions matter more than anything else. When the Apostle Paul was knocked off of his horse while he's still persecuting the church, the two questions he asked, Jesus literally knocked him off of his horse, and the two questions he asked, who are you and what do you want me to do? And those two questions are above everything else. Who is the Lord? And if he is the Lord, then ask the question, what do you want me to do? And at 15... Two o'clock in the morning. My mom was here last night to verify this, and she's not here now, so take it by faith, okay? I literally, two o'clock in the morning, I knew because of my upbringing, answers are in the Bible. I found our family Bible, played Bible roulette. You ever done that? Now, I don't think that's the best way to study the Bible, but do you believe that God can do anything? Can he speak to you at any time, any place? If you're sincere in asking, I think God can use anything to speak to us. So I'm flipping through the Bible. My finger stops. Luke chapter 4, verse 8. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news. Listen to this. It was as though the Holy Spirit grabbed my face, pulled me down and said, John, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you because I've anointed you to preach good news. 
to set at liberty the captive, to heal the brokenhearted, to open blinded eyes, and then listen to this part, and to preach the acceptable year of God's favor. That literally is the reference to the time of Jubilee. That's why we named the church Jubilee. We weren't trying to make it hard for you to come here. We named it Jubilee <laughs> because we believe that it is preaching that God's favor is upon people through Jesus. Do you believe that? At 15, I heard that. At 58, I'm still running on that inspiration. That place, it changed everything. When you hear his name, it doesn't mean you need to do what I do, but it does mean you come to the place where you recognize you're not just existing here for biological reasons only. You are here because God willed you to be here. Your life matters. You're not surviving till death. You're not just taking up space. You're not just trying to make it. Your life contains something the people in this generation need or you're not here. And every lie of the enemy is to tell you it's all accidental. It's nothing on purpose. None of it is intentional. All of it is intentional. All of it is on purpose. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what a teacher said to you. I don't even care what you've believed up until this point. You are here because God wants you here. Your life matters. And it contains something that the people around you need. And the enemy leaves us in a place where we're blind. And we're paralyzed. And we're just surviving. Making money. Till we can get to a place where we don't need to make as much money. And then you die. (laughs) Who's excited about that? Well, how much money are we talking about? That's not the point. (laughs) Your life contains something that this generation needs or you're not here. And when you come to the place where you go, who is the Lord? And you answer that question, he is Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the revealed heart of God on the earth and he loves me with everything. Then to ask the question, what do you want me to do? Ask it. And let him call your name. Cindy, (laughs) I want you to work at Jubilee Fellowship Church. (laughs) That's just a little gift for you, Cindy. The Bible tells about a young kid named Eli and a prophet named Samuel. I'm sorry, a prophet named Eli and a young kid named Samuel. I'm tired, third service. (laughs) Eli was an old man, had served God for many, many years. And prophetically, the Lord opened a womb of a woman who had been praying for a child. And God gave her a son. Eli was actually a part of that. He thought she was drunk and babbling while she was praying because her lips moved, but no words were coming out of her mouth. You ever been at that place where you're so brokenhearted you can't say anything, but you're trying to pray? So she's at the temple praying for a son. Eli, the high priest, sees her. And the prophet walks over and tells her, Are you drunk at the Lord's house? And she goes, no, I'm praying for a son. And suddenly he gets inspired. The Lord has heard your prayer. And this time next year, you're going to have a son. And she raises this little boy and decides to dedicate them to the Lord. So she brings him, when he's a young boy, to the temple to be trained in the ways of the Lord. Can you imagine that today? Like we'd call that child abuse. So she brings this little boy, Samuel, and he served and ministered to the Lord in the temple at a young age, learning from a young age what his position was, what his job was going to be. And when he went to bed one night, the Lord called his name, Samuel. So he jumps up and he runs to Eli. Yes. Eli goes, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. 
So the kid goes back to bed. He's starting to fall asleep. Samuel jumps up, runs to Eli. Yes, I didn't call you. Quit waking me up. Go back to bed. Third time, Samuel runs to Eli. Yes, Eli realizes it's not me. Why it took three times, I don't know. But the next time you hear that voice, say, here I am, Lord. It was the Lord who was talking. And the Lord began to reveal to this young kid all the things that he was going to do. When God calls your name, it changes everything. Listen to this real quickly. The Bible says that the work of the Holy Spirit today is to take the heart of stone out of people and to put in the heart of flesh, the tender heart, the soft heart. We live in a world that makes it so easy for hearts to be hard, yes or no? God, the terror that goes around us. Just this week, New York, Israel, the Ukraine, everything around us. Is there any good news? He's alive. He's alive. And it doesn't matter overall what's happening everywhere else. We're going to win when it's all said and done. He's alive. The last one is just simply to witness. That's become kind of a buzzword in culture today, to witness. And to witness a lot of different things. Let me tell you where it actually comes from. It's biblical. In verse 17, we read it a minute ago. Go find my brothers and tell them, Jesus is speaking, that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Once you see him, once you hear him, once you know that the tomb is empty, you are to witness. We have lost that. We're so under all the stuff that's going on that we're like, would you please, please find a way to try to convince me again that there's hope in the world. And I'm telling you, if you know that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive and he lives in your heart, you have the greatest hope that's ever been given to humanity, man. Leave here today on top, not on the bottom. Above, not beneath. The head and not the tail. First and not last. 1 Corinthians 15. This was like what the church was built on. I remember in my catechism class having to memorize this scripture. It was a confession is what they called it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. I passed on to you what was most important. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than how many? 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This was written a long time ago, though some have died. <laughs> then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him to be a witness. My hope in the message today, the hope of all the staff, the hope of all the people that have been praying for this weekend, is that people that come into this room can witness the fact that Jesus is alive. Like if you walked in here and you did not know, then our hope is that you will know because it changes everything. That you will hear him call your voice. Jesus said in the very last book of the Bible, Revelations, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. 
And if anyone hears me knocking and opens the door, I will come in. Uh, You could use the word reconciliation. You could use the word fellowship. You could use the word that we'll be together. It all means the same thing. If you open the door of your life to Jesus and invite him in, he will come in and change everything. Because you get his life. And if you hear him today calling you, knocking at the door of your heart, speaking to you that you're not just here drifting, but that God willed you to be here so that you could hear this message, so that you have the opportunity to open your heart to Jesus, that you will not harden your heart right now, that you will not turn away, that you will not cast your eyes down and say it's for another day. Never assume there's another day. Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. And I'm not talking to you about church. I'm not talking to you about reformation. I'm not talking to you about like getting all your life together. I am talking to you about life. Do you need the life that God offers? Do you need his mercy? Do you need his grace? Do you want his love? Right answer, whoever said that. Folks, I'm not out of words. I'm not confused on what I'm supposed to do. I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now, is it the right moment? Have I said everything I'm supposed to say? We come to the end of the place where teaching can only get you so far. It can kind of show you, and then you get to decide, is that what I want? What's about to take place is a holy moment. So I'm going to ask you, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head with me? Now listen, I got three things. One, I know that many of you today made this decision a long time ago. You made up your mind. You heard the Lord call you. This is not new to you. You're right there with me. I thank the Lord for that. So if you're in that great place, will you just pray for people right now who might not be? Would you ask the Lord to speak to their hearts, to call their name, to draw them to Him. The other two things are this. If you've never said, Jesus, I need you in my life. If you hear Him knocking right now, and you have never ever opened your heart to Him, never ever believe, never ever had the chance to do this, and you want to today, then I want to pray for you. Now listen to me real carefully. I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm not going to do anything strange to you. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to send you someplace. No one's going to come and do anything weird, but I am going to ask you to respond, to raise your hand if you need me to pray if you want to say yes the second thing that I want to pray for is that maybe maybe this decision was made a long time ago but you find yourself through whatever event maybe it is grief maybe it's betrayal maybe it was death Something so clouded out where your head was. Your ability to 
see clearly, to see Jesus, to hear him. Somehow the enemy has weaved something that is just, you just feel far away. And if I said, do you believe, you would say yes. But if I said, is it close and is it personal, you would say, John, it seems just so far away. Maybe you would describe your heart as cold, indifferent, hardened. I don't know. And I want to pray over that too. Those two things right now are what are in my heart to pray. So Father, for every person, maybe they're watching online or sitting here in person today, and the common denominator is they recognize, they hear you call their name right now. You're calling to them. You're drawing them. Somehow through all of the stuff, Lord, they're convinced you're knocking on the door of their heart for the very first time or maybe for the first time that they've ever heard you and they want to say yes and if that's you and you say pastor I want to give my life to Jesus today I want to invite him in I need God's mercy and I need his grace and I want you to pray for me remember me today if that's you would you just slip your hand up right now pastor pray for me yeah hold him up for just a second so I can see who I'm praying for yep 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 I see you back there yep Yep. Anybody else? Just pray for me. Yeah, I got you guys. You can put them back down. Pray for me. I'm scanning one more time. Thank you. Yeah, I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You can put them back down. And the second one, I'm going to pray all together. The second one is if you just find yourself, you made that decision a long time ago, but maybe I didn't name your circumstance, right? And the important thing is it's not that I know what it is because I can't change it, but I know who can And maybe you would just say, Pastor, I I know Jesus. I love him, but it's just circumstances have taken me so far away. But I hear him call my name again today. It's just like with Mary. Suddenly my eyes are opened. My ears hear. My heart beats again. Pastor, pray for me. I want God to do that all the way in me. I don't want it to be short-circuited run off the tracks. I don't want the enemy to come back in. Pray that just like Mary, I can see clearly today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me, John. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's many of us. You can put your hands back down. It's many. You know, you have an enemy who hates you, but you have a Lord who loves you. And the two things are not in competition. Jesus' love <laughs> encompasses all things. Father, for those who for the very first time give their heart to you today, do what you do so well. God, bring all things back together. Forgive us our sins. Reconcile us to you. Open our hearts and our eyes to why we're here, what you're doing, what you want. Bring the joy and the life despite all of the stuff, despite all of the anxiety of this world. Father, Bring your joy and life today that just overwhelms the other stuff. God, be merciful today. Heaven celebrates and so do we that people say yes to you today. Lord, for my friends, people in my church, people who are hurting today, people who are dealing with a lot of different things, 
Lord, you are so good, so wise, so kind, that in the middle of our grief, our stuff, you call our name. John, Jim, David, Kathy, Chris. He calls your name and suddenly you recognize, you see, and it brings you from the place you were to the place he calls you to. Man, I pray right now, nothing derails that today. I pray you go home clearly focused on who Jesus is and what he's done for you and that he reestablishes you in the place that you're supposed to be. I pray that the enemy today would be so frustrated because all of his plans and purposes fall to the ground as dust as the Lord reestablishes his purpose and plan in your life and as you move forward today. You will give praise that on April 16th, everything changed. Everything. God, we thank you. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.